Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you gentlemen today really really excited uh, to because of our guest today who is really not a guest somebody well known to every single well most of us um, most of us will know him as the founder and chief executive of neighbor it was formerly known as cinnamon network uh, cinnamon network and neighbor it's now neighbor um, is a charity that's just dedicated and committed to helping the local church serve its community and transform our neighborhood through the message of Christ, uh, through serving our, our community. And Neighbor is now in 20 countries all over the world. Uh, that, that, that's just the work God has been doing through, through our, our speaker today. And um, apart from that, he's, he's a prolific writer. I was asking him a few minutes ago how many books he's written. He's written 16 books. How he does it, well, he'll probably tell us. And, and talking about writing, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who, you know, who either have the gift or feel the inclination to write, one of the things that our speaker does is that He's a business coach, but he's also a writing coach. And I'm sure he'll talk a bit more about that. But more than all this, ladies and gentlemen, a good friend of the house, um, just a great man of God. Please welcome Matt Bird. Good morning. Great to be with you. Thank you, Doc. Really grateful to you and Pastor Agu, your families, and this whole Jesus House family for your friendship and for your hospitality today. It's just great to be with you. I snuck in the back here on Good Friday, and Pastor Badjo was preaching. We had an amazing time. It was really, really special, and it's a privilege to be invited to be with you today. So who's ready for a good time? Yes. It's really, really good. Before I read from the Bible, I want to tell a story. Anybody like a story? Yeah. You're sitting comfortable? Yeah. I'll begin. Well, uh, I first met Jesus just over 30 years ago. I know I don't look old enough, do I? Go on, just agree with me, please. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I, I, still 30 years on, I'm pursuing Jesus. Imperf- imperfectly, but I'm still pursuing Jesus. Jesus. About 10 years into my journey with Jesus, I did feel, though, that my faith had become a little bit self-focused, self-indulgent, self-centered. And I really felt God challenged me to deprivatize my faith. You know it's God speaking because sometimes you're confused about exactly what he means, don't you? It's a good sign that it's God, because you think, well, I know that's him, but I don't know quite what to do next. 
And I thought, what on earth does he mean by deprivatizing my faith? And I began a journey, and I'm still on the journey, of trying to work out what it means to take that which is profoundly personal and put it out there in community and in society. So one of the first things I did, now, please, you can laugh at me, uh, it's okay. I decided I would join a political party. Yeah, yeah, I told you you could laugh. But it was a little bit, little bit like joining the gym. Anybody here ever join the gym? You, you, you pay your membership, you get your card, it goes in your wallet or your purse, and, and then nothing. Well, it's a little bit like that for me joining a political party. I paid my fees, I got my membership card, put it in my wallet, and then nothing. And after six months, I thought, okay, I'm going to go and volunteer. And I turned up one Saturday morning at our local political group. And they were folding bits of paper and putting it in envelopes ready for a door drop. And I joined in. And after 15 minutes, they said to me, Matt, could we have a quiet word? Now, you have to understand, I didn't know anybody in the room. And they took me to one side, and I thought I was maybe folding the paper wrong or something. But they took me to one side, and they explained, Matt, um, in a few months' time, we have a a local election coming up in our London borough. And uh, one of the seats that we're running for, they said, we can't find a candidate. And the reason we can't find a candidate is that it's a seat that we couldn't possibly win. So we're looking for a a fool. Sorry, we're we're looking for a volunteer. We're looking for a volunteer who would simply allow us to put their name on the ballot paper so when the ballot papers go out to the community, it doesn't look like this party doesn't care. Now, you know something, very careful not to talk party politics here. You're hearing that, aren't you? So uh, I agreed. I thought, well, why not? I, I, I I can do that. The problem was, three months later on election night, I nearly didn't show up at the local town hall. But I thought, I was out with a friend for a drink, um, Coca-Cola, of course. Um, and uh, he said, why don't we go and see how badly you lost? Who needs friends like that? So off we went to the town hall. And, uh, and it got to 2 a.m. in the morning before the chief exec of our London borough uh, took to the podium and announced the results. And uh, it was a rather unusual moment because they announced that the loser won. I won. Uh, Yeah, I I was a little taken back, but not as surprised as the leader of our party who thought we've just elected a complete stranger to represent us in the local government. But that was the beginning of my political journey. That was the beginning of trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus, not just in the house, but out of the house. Out of the house. And, um, and I've been trying to work out ever since how exactly to do that. You see, the amazing thing is our faith may be profoundly personal, but it is not a private matter. It is not a private matter. Our faith is a public faith. It has everything to say about how our society chooses to live together. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one takes a light and puts it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so it illuminates and brings light to the whole room. In the same way, let your faith so shine before men and women that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Is there anything that sounds remotely private about that kind of faith? Our faith is like a city on a hill. You can't miss it. It's unmissable. It may be a small light, but in a dark place, it is going to shine. This is a public faith. We don't have a faith that's private, that just belongs to me and Jesus. We have a personal faith that actually informs how we live, informs how our community lives, informs how society lives. And I want to read this morning from the Gospel of Luke about, well, I could read any story of Jesus and say what I'm going to say this morning. But this morning, I want to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Just sit back and enjoy it. It might even come up on the screen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, one, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Our faith is a public faith. It impacts everything about the way we choose to live. And when we encounter Jesus, it is transformational. Our sins are forgiven, but there are three other things that I'd like to draw out of this story about what happens when we encounter Jesus. The first is this. When we encounter Jesus, we experience social inclusion. Now it's interesting, these ten lepers, declared unclean by the priests, forced to live outside the village. That's why when Jesus approached the village, the first people he met were the lepers. Because the lepers were living in a ghetto. They were segregated and forced to live away from their families. And they were not allowed to approach people, so they cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They called out to get his attention. And I love the dimension of it, that when they were cleansed, only one came back to thank Jesus. Now, I have a theory about the fact that only one came back to thank Jesus. And it's this. I travel a little bit, and... And when I walk through the door arriving home, it's a special moment. I remember when my kids were a little bit younger, 
My little Reuben, he's 13 now, he's still quite small. But Reuben would run along the corridor. He would launch himself into the air, crying, Daddy, and throw his arms around me. Oh, so great. And then Matilda, she's 15 now, she comes running along the corridor and she puts her arms around my tummy and she just squeezes and says, Daddy, it's so good to see you. Then my 17-year-old son, Joseph, he strolls down the corridor. Just give me a little bit of a shoulder bump. Good to see you, Dad. You see, getting reunited with people that we haven't seen for some time. It's a special thing, isn't it? And I've perhaps only been away for a week or a couple of weeks. We don't know how long these ten lepers were separated from their families. The Bible doesn't tell us. I rather suspect it was for more than a couple of weeks. It could have been months. could have been years that they were segregated from their families and forced to live in this ghetto. So my theory why only one came back to thank Jesus is that the other nine literally ran home to open the door and to embrace the people they love most in the world. When we encounter Jesus, we experience being reunited with him reunited with the family of God. We find our home. We find our belonging in him and his family. You know, our world can be a pretty lonely place sometimes, can't it? At least pre-pandemic, it was quite lonely. And now, as we've emerged from the pandemic, and all these months and months and months of social distancing, I mean, frankly, social distancing was the last thing our world needed. Our world was already a lonely place. It was the last thing we needed. I was uh, travelling on a bus, and uh, it was about December time. And I began a conversation with the elderly lady sat next to me. And I said to her, are you looking forward to Christmas? Her face went sad. And I knew in a moment why her face was sad. And she answered me, no, I'm not. Because here in the United Kingdom, 500,000 elderly people spend Christmas Day alone. Can you believe that? Half a million people spend Christmas Day alone every year. But I tell you what, you don't have to be elderly to feel alone. You don't have to be elderly to feel all alone in the world. You could be sat here today in this amazing church and you could feel like nobody who sits around you knows what on earth is going on in your life. You know, you can spend your time with people, but you can still feel alone in the world. It's possible to be in a marriage, but feel all alone in the world. You can be at a party and you can feel all alone in the world. Loneliness and isolation is perhaps one of the most damaging aspects to our health and our well-being. But Jesus, Jesus puts the lonely in families. Jesus reconnects us with one another and with himself. Jesus reunited these ten lepers with their families. 
One came back to thank him, but the other nine ran home to embrace their wives, to embrace their children. This is the miracle of encountering Jesus, that he reconciles us to him and to one another. Isn't that an incredible thing? This is social inclusion. And as we look out in our society, who are the equivalent to those lepers who were segregated? Who are the communities, who are the groups of people as we live out our lives who are living apart, who have been segregated from others? Who are the people that Jesus wants us to, in- to meet and to reconcile to him and to his family? The second dimension that I find in this story, there's an act of social inclusion that takes place, but there's also an act of economic empowerment. You see, these ten lepers, they were, they were living in this ghetto. They had no access to the markets. They, they were the, probably the main income earners in their families. And now their families were scavenging, trying to survive without the main income earner in the family. And so these lepers, they just lived off the scraps left outside the town that nobody else wanted. They were begging for a living. So in this this act of cleansing from leprosy wasn't just an act on Jesus' behalf of social inclusion. It was an act of economic empowerment. Because now these men could hold their heads high. They could return to the workshop that they, were, they, were, that they had been forced to leave. They could return to the fields. They could go back to market. They could do the industrious things that they used to do for a living. And in that act of re-employment and re-engagement, they were economically empowered. Now their families no longer needed to beg for a living. Now, those men could work. They could earn to provide for themselves, to provide for their families, and even enough to be generous to others. I once went through a period in my life, six months, of no work. The money was a little bit of a challenge, but the greatest challenge was not the money. The greatest challenge when you have no work is the loss of morale, the indignity as a person of not having work of not feeling valued, of having no reason to get out of bed in the morning. It gets harder and harder and harder. But you see, when I read through the New Testament, not just this healing miracle, but every healing miracle of Jesus was actually an act of economic empowerment. Because there was no social welfare system at that time. There were no charities who would provide for you. You literally begged for a living. So if you were blind, deaf, dumb, lame... You would beg for a living. And so every time Jesus healed a person, he gave them back the ability to work again. Not just to earn, but to hold their heads high. He gave them back their dignity and their worth. I love in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they go to the temple through the gate called Beautiful. And there every day was placed a, a man who begged for a living. And Peter turned to the beggar, and he says, you know the story, gold and silver I haven't got, but what I have I give you in Jesus' name, be healed. The man jumped to his feet. He'd been lame all his life. 
He jumped to his feet, praising God. He was given something more than gold or silver. He was given his dignity back. He could now go and work for a living to provide for himself, his family, and to be generous to others. I think worklessness is one of the, the, most, the most crushing experiences that any person can have. And you know what? I love food banks and food parcels and food pantries and all those things. They're amazing, but, but they don't solve poverty. They don't solve anything apart from an immediate need for food. They don't give people dignity. So Neighbour, the charity that I started and lead globally, one of the things we help churches do, and I know Jesus House is launching this, I think it's in September, we run something called the Enterprise Course. And we enable churches to run this course to help people in the congregations and in the community who are facing worklessness to what? To start a small business. Because work and enterprise are the only lasting solution to economic poverty. Government provision and charity provision will never, ever, ever solve poverty. They provide relief, but no more. Only enterprise and work can solve poverty. Let's create lasting solutions to poverty, just as Jesus did He cleansed the ten lepers and they could now go to work. Isn't that incredible? When they encountered Jesus, they experienced social inclusion, economic empowerment, and thirdly and finally, they experienced political justice. I mean, what sort of society diagnoses somebody with a disease and then forces them to live in a ghetto. What sort of society? Inhumane. And the whole of Jesus' life was about challenging political injustice. The woman caught in adultery, about to be stoned to death by men. Jesus stops them. I mean, one of the questions I want to ask is, well, they were about to stone the woman. If she was caught in adultery, where the, is the man? What sort of society allows the man to slip out the back door and takes the woman out the front door and stones her to death? What sort of society would do that? Jesus challenged the, the, the religiousness. Uh, you know, he had an argument about who could be, could, could people be healed on the Sabbath? I mean, for goodness sake, Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. Of course people can be healed on the Sabbath. There was so much that was corrupt and wrong about the system and about the culture. By the way, for me, politics, politics is defined as the way we choose to live together as a society. So if faith has nothing to say about politics, we have nothing to say at all, frankly. Our faith has everything to say about how we choose to live together as a society. Absolutely everything. Our faith informs and challenges. And just as Jesus challenged the political injustices of his day, 
how women caught in adultery were treated, how lepers were treated, what was allowed to be done on the Sabbath and what wasn't. He calls us to challenge injustices, injustices in the system that allow people to be segregated, to live apart, to be de-skilled, to be dehumanized for whatever reason. Jesus calls us to challenge the political system. So this, this faith that we have, you see what I'm saying? It's not a private faith. It's a public faith. This isn't just a forgiveness of sins. This faith we have is a radical, radical thing. So often our Christianity is just, it's just so domestic. It's just so sanitized. It's robbed of its true power by over-spiritualizing it. It's just about me and Jesus getting to heaven when I die. No, no, no. This is a revolution. This is a revolution about how communities and people relate to one another. This is a revolution about the ability to work and have dignity in life. This is a, this is a revolution about how we choose to live together as a community and a society. This really is transformational. It really is good news. Isn't it? It really is good news. And, and I'm going to shut up in a minute because I'd just love to pray with you. I don't know. Oh, we're doing okay on time. I've got five minutes to, to pray with you or so. Would you stand? I, I would love to pray for some people this morning. Um, I would love to pray for people who think, gosh, Matt, maybe, maybe Jesus is calling me to get more politically engaged. You see, standing at a distance and lobbing things in doesn't create much change. Actually, we need to get involved in the political process. We need to enter the dialogue. We need to inform and influence policy. And, and just trust me, you know from my story, actually, sometimes all we need to do is turn up. Sometimes it can be as easy as joining a political party, I don't care which one, within reason, <laughs> and turning up. It's as simple as that. God can place you into the political system to salt and light it with the colours and the flavours of the kingdom of God. And as I speak these words, perhaps something's jumping and leaping inside you. The Holy Spirit's nudging you, prodding you, poking you. And you're thinking, Matt, yes, yes, yes. I want to speak up for truth. I want to speak up for justice. Maybe that's you. It's easier than you think. And I want to pray for you today if you feel maybe, maybe God is nudging me to get involved. The second group of people I want to pray for today, um, you know, and, and next week you may have somebody come and they'll pray for evangelists, but not this week. I'd love to pray this week for entrepreneurs, for business people. You see, <laughs> you see, charities and government are never going to solve poverty. The most powerful way that we can fight poverty is to start a business, is to be an entrepreneur. And I believe that actually we're all, I mean, the greatest entrepreneur is God. 
And if an, if an entrepreneur is somebody who creates something out of nothing, that's what God did, wasn't it? He took a big risk to create something out of nothing. Uh, and sometimes his risk has paid off, sometimes it hasn't. <laughs> the risk is us, by the way. <laughs> but we all have the spirit of enterprise within us. And I'd love to pray for people today who would like to start a business, or perhaps you're running a business and you're really struggling. I want to pray for God's spirit of enterprise to come upon you and anoint you for business. Because business people make more difference to the poor in our world than anybody else. You not only create a job for yourself, but you create jobs, accessible jobs for other people. You are radical agents of change and transformation. Your role in the world is not to be the biggest donors to the church or anything else. Your role in the world is to solve poverty by creating jobs. One or two, ten or twenty, hundreds or thousands. That's the incredible power of business. And I want to pray for you. And the third group of people I'd love to pray for today, even in this huge community, this morning, actually, you feel all alone. You feel all alone in the world. And uh, you may feel all alone in your marriage. And I just want to say to you, tell somebody. Ask for help now. Don't leave it till later. You may be somebody who's struggling with your mental health. And you've been coming to this church for years. But you're really, really struggling you don't know how you get through each day I want to pray for you today so as the guys tinkle and play don't know what you do, do you tinkle and play? do you want to tinkle and play? there we go I'd like to invite you to come I'm just going to say a simple prayer for you do you feel that Jesus might be prodding you, nudging you leading you to get involved in politics? Do you feel that Jesus might be nudging, leading you to start a business? Or do you need his help to help turn your business around? Come, come now. Come now, I want to pray for you. If you feel all alone in the world, come now. If you feel alone in your marriage, if you feel alone in this church, if you feel alone at work, come now. The really good thing is nobody's going to know whether you're coming here because you want to start a business or join politics or because you're on the edge. It's the lovely thing. Come, come into the middle. I want to pray for you. Shuffle in. Shuffle in. <laughs> Shuffling, guys. So, for those of you who feel all alone in the world, the good news is that, <laughs> that Jesus puts the lonely in families. And I'm going to pray for you in one moment, but please, please, please do not leave this place today without saying to somebody, find somebody, just tell them, I'm desperate. Tell somebody, I'm desperate in my marriage, I feel desperately alone at work. I feel I've got no friends in the church. Tell somebody, 
Father, I want to pray for those people who feel alone, who feel isolated, separated, like they're living their life in a ghetto, segregated, that they see people doing well all around them. And you look great on Instagram, but inside you are alone. I want to pray for you in this moment that you will have an encounter with Jesus. That you'll allow him to meet with you. To put his arm around you and give you a squeeze. Because you are never alone. Jesus promised, I will be with you always. He is with you. He is your best friend. He loves you. In fact, it's better than the fact that he loves you. He actually likes you. Really likes you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will come and bring you great comfort in this moment. In Jesus' name. Father, I want to pray for those people who feel called to business or whose business is struggling. (laughs) The wonderful thing about Jesus is he is a business turnaround expert. He finished a a sermon and he was at this lake and uh, there was this guy who ran a little business, a guy called Simon. I think his business is called Simon & Co, or at least that's what I imagine. And him and his team have been out fishing and they, all night, they caught nothing. Caught nothing. And Jesus, get the irony of this, Jesus the carpenter tells the fishermen where to go and catch fish. It's funny, isn't it? He says, go, 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 go and put your nets out over there. They must have been joking and laughing themselves. What does the, I mean, carpenter know? We've got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Let's, let's, let's at least try. And what happened? My goodness, the nets were full to bursting. In fact, they had to form a, quick, a few quick joint ventures with some other small companies on the lake to help them bring the catch in. It was so great. And what I want to pray for you if you're struggling in business today is that Jesus will help you turn your business around. Not just for you, but so that you need to start employing people and partnering with people because the opportunities that will come your way will be so great you cannot possibly do it on your own Jesus I pray for your anointing upon those people whose business is struggling and I want to pray for those who feel called to start a business I pray this morning that you will release a spirit of enterprise in our lives. The great entrepreneur, we're made in the image of the great entrepreneur and we ask for a release of his spirit. Give us ideas. Give us the best ideas. Make us smart about how we do business. Help us to make money, not just so that we can have a good time, but so that we can create lasting and enduring jobs for others to lift them permanently out of poverty. Give us the increase, we ask, Father, 
so we can create employment and opportunities for others. For others. Anointed for business, we pray in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for those people today who feel nudged, prompted to get involved politically. It's easy to sit where we are, stand where we are and criticise others involved. But, but perhaps, perhaps today is the day that we, we get engaged. Perhaps today is the day that we get engaged. And I want to pray for all those people who feel a nudge and a leading to politics. Jesus, help them just turn up and offer themselves. And I pray that they will be surprised about where that offer takes them about the positions to influence and the people they will meet. But always, always, always listening for the unheard voice, the neglected voice, standing up for the oppressed, for those who experience injustice. Make them like oaks of righteousness in the world of politics, I pray. Grow them, strengthen them, keep them strong. Open doors, open places, I pray in Jesus' name.